Hi, I'm Christian Haynes. I'm with Gamers with Glasses, and I am happy to be joined by Roger Whitson. Hey. Julian Chambliss. Hello. And Trey Andrea Russworm. Hi. Roger, why don't you introduce our guests? Yeah, well, Trey Andrea Russworm works in uh, race and video games, um, and uh, Julian Chambliss uh, works in the real and fictional city. And so... Um, <laughs> We're, we're really Love lucky that. to have them along with us. <laughs> Go ahead. Thank you. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales, which is uh, Insomniac's new game released on the PS4 and the PS5, the PlayStation 4 and the PlayStation 5. Uh, it is standalone uh, content uh, that is set in the same universe as their uh, Spider-Man game that came out just a few years ago, uh, which I think was received with pretty wide acclaim, I would say. And I think it's safe to say that Spider-Man Miles Morales is also being received very well. Uh, yeah, what are folks' first impressions of the game? Did Are you enjoying it? Uh, how do you play it? How did you watch it? Uh, yeah. Well, I wished when I was playing it that we weren't uh, in lockdown or that we could sort of move freely among ho other households because I had a very strong desire to play this with like preteens and some of our mm. nephews. So a younger set, you know, I think that sweet spot in terms of age for us, for me in playing this game would have been like nine and up, you know, somewhere like nine to uh, 15. Like I would really want to play with a, a little group of our, of our nephews. Um, so yeah, the, my general take on the game, um, as far as enjoyment and playability, I did play it. I have to say that my feelings about this game are going to be somewhat compromised or informed by another game that I played last weekend for like a hectic four days, which was The Last of Us 2. I was kind of on the oh, deadline wow. to play that game. And it's a very different game, you know, from this game. Those are two very different games, but... I wasn't necessarily in the headspace to play Spider-Man, which is like lush and gorgeous. And like, you know, you have this, even though it's, even though it has its, you know, tensions, dramatic tensions and conflict, it's nothing like, you know, the zombie apocalypse and the brutal world of, of uh, The Last of Us. So in some ways it was a relief and in other ways it just didn't like grip me from a narrative standpoint. Uh, but I think that it is a game that works in so many other ways. And it's a game that I would want to share with younger people. Like I enjoyed some of the combat, the, the cinematic like fighting style is fun to do and it's a gorgeously rendered game. Um, but I think I would have gotten more out of it by sort of vicariously playing with others. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't play the game. I actually watched all the game because I don't have a, a PS system. I have an Xbox system. Uh, I, I watched multiple playthroughs of the game and, and love uh, what I saw. I mean, I, I think the, the fight, the fighting mechanics in the game, the open world, the, even the mini games and side missions I thought were incredibly uh, engaging and fulfilling. And, you know, it really speaks to um, the the power of Insomniac in terms of like their ability to tell 
what I think of as a really cinematic Spider-Man story. Uh, so much so that I think it sort of bled over, some elements of that game have bled over into comics, into the other, other narratives related to Spider-Man. So it's, it's really interesting to see what they're doing. I want to say I'm angry that I spent $50 on it. <laughs> and I've already made this comment. I've already said this. But I think it is. It's frustrating that a game, I mean, how long was it? Like 20 hours, basically? Is it a little longer than that, maybe? Shorter than that. No, I would say mainlining it, maybe 10 hours, 12 hours. It's side content, 16. Yeah, it was a little frustrating that, you know, and... The other thing about it, it was a little frustrating that it ended up being fifty dollars uh, for a game like that of that length. Um, and uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed what I played of it. I enjoyed the story certainly. Um, I, I also have sort of a thing against kind of the type of open world games that Spider-Man and like I'm thinking. I don't know if Assassin's Creed does this, but Ghost of Tsushima. This was one of my uh, critiques of Ghost of Tsushima is that at the beginning of the game, um, you know, it's exciting to do all these side quests. And then eventually it's like, am I gonna do another sound sample for my uncle? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> you You're know, making like, beats though. You're making beats. <laughs> <laughs> right. so, so, I, say, I like the open world in this mostly. And maybe it's because I didn't overindulge this time, which I, I definitely like, I don't want to really talk about it here because we'll have to talk about it at some point but i am playing cyberpunk uh 2077 right now and i am lucky enough that i have a new like console i have a series x and so it's not like a buggy mess but for some reason i've got caught in this loop where i'm just doing side stuff i spent like three hours between like 4 a.m and like 7 a.m one morning just doing like gigs and that's what they're called um and i and i at the end i was like why did i just do that but with the with miles morales i just kind of was like i'll just occasionally do one if i'm on the way i'll like i'll, I'll bust a crime here and there when I'm swinging over from there. But other than that, just like, I have to say, like, it kind of blew me away in a way that I wasn't really prepared for. And I don't know if that's because Julian and I were talking about before we started recording the Avengers game, which I think we mm. both found to be good, fine, but like a little underwhelming story-wise. And this right. just, I thought, brought it. Like, in terms of its story, it's tight. Right. It's kind of short. The beats work. I have some quibbles and qualms and this and that. Uh, and I like Last of Us Part Two a lot, actually. I, I wrote a little bit about it. I have problems with it as well, but it 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 brings that drama, you know. And it's like I could see coming from the one to the other. Uh, that would be a little like, I don't know, like, you know, we were talking about we had a snowstorm. It's a bit like you know, running out, you know, in your pajamas or something, barefoot, like in twenty degree <laughs> weather, you know, it's that kind of thing. Uh, but I just I I started playing this game, and I think you know, our older daughter and our younger daughter were there and my like face just like lit up. I was just like, as, as soon as they let me swing, I was just like smiles. That's the <laughs> thing. A person. I think playing it with kids would dramatically change my experience of the game, dramatically. Cause I, I think it's a really cool and fun game. And I think that the right, just experiencing the joy that other kids, the kids would have in seeing you just like soar around the city or if they're doing it and I'm watching them, I think that I could really step it up in terms of enjoyment if I were able to play with kids because I think that makes all the difference in terms of mood, disposition. Um, 
just yeah Maybe I'm, jealous. I'm, je- I'm jealous you got to play with kids. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But you, you, it's, a, it's a replayable game, I think. But, you know, maybe we could use this as a transition point and talk a little bit about Miles and that sort of like wonderfully awkward uh, age he's at in the game that he somehow simultaneously, I mean, I, this is my read on him. He somehow manages to embody awkwardness and just utter charisma at the same time. He's got that like swagger, but sometimes he'll stumble over his own swagger. Mm. What do folks think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I know exactly what you mean. There's an element of this being a kind of coming of age story for Miles, right? Like it, part of the, I think one of the things that makes the game play so engaging is that it is a highly personalized narrative about Miles and his world. And so you get a really strong sense of him as a, um, you know, coming off of the consequences of the first Spider-Man game, but this is highly connected to that in terms of everything about it. Uh, But what does it mean for him to be um, his neighborhood Spider-Man? You know, almost like Spider-Man being franchised, but he's putting his own spin on it which I think it's really intriguing sort of element that they add to the story, uh, which, which they come to over and over again, actually, in the context of the, of the game. And, you know, he sort of grows into the role of protector. Um, some, and a lot of people around them are also growing. And, and I think that's one of the things that makes it really intriguing game uh, in terms of the story. And, and he, you know, by the time you get to the end of that story, has fundamentally... Uh, sort of reconciled a little bit with his past, his elements of the story from the original game uh, are brought into play. Um, and he sort of set up to be his neighborhood Spider-Man, right? Like he literally on the wall, right? He's on the mural. Uh, and so it's, it's really interesting that way. It is a coming of age story. I kind of saw it that way when I was looking at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I found it interesting that um... He, the, I, I found it interesting how loose they are with the secret identity part. Like, you know, I, <laughs> I guess the like superheroes of my, or like, you know, the, the earlier tellings of like, I'm, I'm a DC universe person. So like Superman, you know, people just don't get that, that, that Clark Kent is Superman. They don't really get it. But here there is just like no pretense, you know? Um, I mean, I guess this is a spoiler cast. Like it's pretty, pretty seamless that his mom finds out his uncle knows like people just know that he's spider-man and then by the end you know um christian maybe what you're talking about with the swagger is like by the by the sort of final set piece of the game he's like strutting down the streets of harlem you know (laughs) dancing been like hey what's up and people like no (laughs) hey you know you're my guy you're my spider-man you're our neighborhood spider-man and it's just an open secret, you know? So I kind of found that interesting and refreshing um, that that's sort of what his role is going to be. And I think that's important maybe, you know, I, I kind of the more I think about it, I think like having there be less separation between the kid and the person who lives in this neighborhood and who's a part of it, whose mom is running for office, you know, and then having this hero, um, I think it seems really important because mostly through the game, people are saying, you're not the real Spider-Man. Who's this kid Spider-Man? I don't want you to help me. Like when you're doing the side missions, you know, he's getting a lot of of flag for that. Um, And Finally, there's acceptance, like when he sort of sacrifices himself to, to help save his community. Um, 
there's full acceptance. And then people are like, even when you do other missions, people are like, you know, I did a side mission and someone's uh, at the barbershop is like, oh, you know, anytime. He, I don't, the barber didn't know Miles's identity, but he's like, anytime you need a free haircut. And Miles is like, how can that work with the mask? And he's like, ah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> you know, stranger things have happened. We'll work around it. And then, you know, people offering him free meals for saving their restaurant. And so, yeah, you really do get that sense that like he is this homegrown, um, embedded, culturally community embedded character. And I like that there's some slippage there and some self-consciousness or uh, self-reflexivity around his uh, secret identity that's not so secret. I thought that was cool. That's, that's really fascinating. There was a lot, what you just said, that brought up a lot in, in me, Treyandria. Um, I, I love that Miles is not a carbon copy of Peter. And that's just a sort of bigger, bigger issue with, with Miles, right? Like that he's his own character, right? Like he, I like the swagger that he has. He isn't like, I, I like that we don't get just sort of another version of the sort of bad luck Peter Parker kind of meme mm -hmm. that runs through a lot of Spider-Man comics. Um, he struggles, he has his own struggles, right? He has his own issues. Um, and, but I think he, he uh, navigates those issues in a sort of fundamentally different way than, Park, than Peter would. And so I just really appreciate that about the game and about Miles as a character more generally. So the other thing I wanted to point out, by the way, is uh, Superman actually recently did give up his secret identity in the comics. What? Yeah. Okay. Totally. I don't know. I've never read the comic. Which <laughs> run? It's so hard with the it was, comics. It was so actually Brian, Brian Michael Bendis just is his new run on Superman. Like he, he actually created Miles, which is awesome. It's kind of interesting. Oh, is he doing also, is it all-star Superman or is it something else? Uh, it's just Superman. It's, it's just it's Superman. Just Superman. Just the new yeah. Superman run. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, there yeah. you go. Finally. Maybe that'll make <laughs> Superman more relatable. People can yeah. people can them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's the right move uh, for this character. Interesting. Julian, how do you feel about the way in which they brought this character to the screen, to, to the controller, maybe a better way of putting it, because they've been bringing him to the screen in animated form a lot lately. But how right. do you feel about some of the changes that Insomniac did in terms of the way in which uh, Miles emerges? Because if I'm remembering correctly, like Miles more or less ends up replacing Peter in the ultimate universe. Peter dies, Miles right. takes his place at a certain point. And uh, right, yeah. obviously this is not what's happening here. I, I, I doubt they're killing off Peter, even in the sequel, even though I'm pretty <laughs> sure they're gonna make both Miles and Peter playable in this next game. That's Everybody my thinks hunch. So, yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, in the comics, um, Miles does take over and he, he is created by my, uh, Brian Michael Bendis. Um, and the, in, in the ultimate universe, Peter Parker there dies heroically saving, saving people, right? And Miles is a character he introduces and takes on the mantle as Spider-Man. And uh, for years, you know, those that ultimate, when the ultimate universe came to an end, they brought that character over to the 616, the, the, the quote unquote main Marvel universe. So they crossed over to the universe. So that's why you see Miles now. Uh, I do think that that's like an incredibly important um, tension that has been around Miles. Like, because Miles is a, really a rare example in comics of a, 
of a character who's introduced, who sort of gets an established, uh, gets a, a fan base and establishes himself and doesn't go away, right? Like this is a character in comics for a character who's clearly like a kind of uh, sort of allegory character to a sort of status character like a Peter Parker, like a Spider-Man. Those characters often struggle in terms of finding an audience, finding a space on the shelf, finding, finding, a, finding a way for them to be out there. But Miles really sort of emerged uh, as a, a character that I think really spoke to um, a kind of more diverse, more inclusive uh, potentiality in comics. And, and that has always driven, I think, a certain kind of perception of the character, both good and bad. I mean, uh, when the character was introduced in, in print, that was part of the, and it's important to recognize this was all happening in an alternative universe, right? like an imprint of Marvel. So the real, the, the main Spider-Man was alive yeah. and well. Totally. But people were losing their mind about the Spider-Man <laughs> that died in his <laughs> ultimate imprint, right? <laughs> uh, uh, you can go on the YouTube and find really heartfelt, hate-filled messages from fans yeah. about Miles Morales, I right? I remember him too. Yeah, I was like, you know, Spider-Man ain't dead, right? And, and it's comics. He, he'll be back, right? Like, <laughs> what's wrong with you, right? Um, but that character was incredibly successful in capturing a kind of origin narrative and, and life experience and perspective that really resonated with people. And I think that introducing them in, in the game as they did, they have kept many of the things that were defining for Miles Morales in print. But again, Spider-Man is the original transmedia character, right? He's existed on multiple platforms for decades. So be it cartoon, live action, movies, games, this is a particular take where Insomnia is telling a Spider-Man story that makes choices. They killed off Aunt May, which is a thing. Like a lot of people, <laughs> they do not want to kill off Aunt May. And they're like, Aunt May gotta go. And they killed Aunt, Aunt May. She's like right? 200 like, years old. She's like 200, she's so old. She's been there forever. <laughs> Nobody Look. ages in this. <laughs> Look, Peter is a genius. He's obviously making life-extending <laughs> concoctions of some sort, and I don't know, injecting her in her sleep or something. There's something happening there. Yeah, I mean, but that gave the game gravit. That gave that first Spider-Man game gravitas, right? Like, yeah. okay, right. Um, introducing Miles in that game, yeah, he, he was a playable character in one stage, right? You know, mm -hmm. uh, so in some ways, there was a a, a, a kind of there's a story world represented by the Insomniac Spider-Man games that is unique but referential. It speaks to things that we know about Spider-Man, both in print and in, in other media. And it is spinning a tale within the confines of like licensing that you can tell in a Spider-Man story, right? Like, and they're borrowing from lots of different eras. I mean, I think this game in particular is relying heavily on Dan Slott's run mm -hmm. uh, in terms of like the villains and characters and some of the situations that you see um, and so it's a really interesting um, example of, of, of the strength of the Spider-Man story world, right? Like you can tell a story about Spider-Man and, and keep to that neighborhood ethos, keep to that man of the people. But those elements that make Spider-Man Spider-Man also work with Miles, but Miles has his own take on that. 
-hmm. And it's very clear when you're playing that game, when you're seeing that world, when you're seeing those characters, right? Uh, and, and they and they play that in the story, right? Like that's part of the, I think that's part of the way that the game works. It, it's such a encapsulation. It's happening over like they're out of school. Like it's happened over break. I'm like, it's so very much about Miles and his world and his people and his neighborhood. It is very much so. And I would just add to that. I mean, thank you for, for filling us in because there's so much about the Marvel Universe and the different timelines that I just will never understand. I have a mental block and my mind is like, no, no, that does not exist. Fan. I don't want to know. I'm not going to put it into You a DC fan. fan. <laughs> you a DC so, fan. I know. I need it to be more linear. I need there's only so many multiverses so we can hold in our head. Though. DC that's is so true. much more complicated. That's true. That's true. I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't like know it, what but... crisis we're in. Who knows? That's true. That's true. Fair enough. But I really wanted, I mean, Peter Parker is not in this game um, very much, but I wanted even less of him. I wanted, mm. you know, he's there as the mentor figure, you know, he's just on vacation and, you know, you get phone calls from him as you're going through the city or different at different milestones in the game. And there's one little training module in the beginning. I think he helps you get your, leaves you this package for your suit. You like do this training and stuff and you get your suit. Um, I wanted even less of him though. I wanted to really feel like, because so much of the community, so, so many members of the community are always comparing you to him. And I know that's a trope, you know, you've got the mentor, but you also have to become better than, or, you know, equal to the mentor. I get that, but I, I found that a little bit irritating. Mm. Um, and I also thought that even though I'm very glad this is not DLC, it, it, I could see how it might've been conceived initially as DLC because you need that other story. There's a lot that happens even in Miles's life, like with this father, you know, you, you really are kind of picking this story up mid speed. And so I think this could have worked as DLC, but I'm always sick of seeing black character stories only in DLC do want standalone games and we want them to be fleshed out. So I'm glad they made that move. But I think watching, there's a little recap in the game of some of the major events in the previous game, but even watching more of that, cause I didn't play, you know, the first PS4 Spider-Man, I think that would have been helpful. And that would have made the ho the two halves, I guess, feel a little more connected mm. um, because this is a short game. And my biggest challenge with it is that even though I was playing it kind of in a hurry because I knew you were going to record this podcast and I wanted to finish it, I wanted, if it's an open world game, what I really wanted was to be completely immersed, a little more immersed than we are. So I love open world games. The side missions, the repetition of the side missions don't doesn't usually bother me. But even that list of side missions is pretty pretty minimal you know you you get a really good open world game and you might have like a hundred side missions you know if you walk down the street and the character lights up like hey help me my cat my this you know you can't even get out of your building before you know someone is asking for help so i wanted 
even more of that. But more importantly, I wanted it to feel like we lived in Harlem, you know, where Miles, you can actually play this game with very few stops. You don't go back home to like sleep, to eat. A lot of open world games will have you go to your safe house. You know, you go and that's where you save or you have to have, you have a sense of like, I have to park, you know, I have to park somewhere. I have to do this. I have to like walk up and down the street and interact with some of the buildings a little more, some of the businesses. That part of the game is very bare bones. And the reason I think it matters is because I think that it gives the city Harlem is so well done. I mean, the, the borough is so well done and Miles is so well done, but it feels like it's missing something. And it took mm. me a while to articulate what that is. One, I don't want to keep hearing Peter Parker call me, but two, if he's going to call me, then I want to like take a nap. I want to have to go home. I want to, you know, in games like GTA uh, or other games, you just drive into your, you know, to, you got to go put stuff away. You got to store some stuff. You can't just carry everything. So I have all these suits. Let me go hang up this suit. You know, that's a way of making you feel like you actually live in the place of the character lives in. And that would, I think, have added a lot more to Harlem and making this even more of Miles's story. Um, but I also don't think that the first Spider-Man did that because I tried to look up and see like that was still a relatively fast uh, game to play. But maybe the two of them together, you would have felt that. But you need to inhabit the open world space more than Miles does. You can just go from mission to mission to mission off of your little perch. You pop out of one mission and you instantly go across the city, go to the next mission. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that that part could have been slowed down. There is a sort of tempo to it that uh, I think impacts how much you can get immersed in this story, standalone as it is. Yeah. I. I think that uh, I think that relationship between Peter and Miles is so fascinating, given the history of that character that uh, Julian pointed out really well. One version of this that's really interesting, though, is that uh, is just go back and um, part of the reason why Miles was created, at least Brian Michael Bendis said this uh, at one point in one of his columns, was because uh, Donald Glover was trying to uh, he was trying to audition for. Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man, which was the movie with uh, Andrew Garfield. Uh, Garfield. Garfield, thank you. Um, and he had this whole internet campaign to, yeah. to do this. And I remember that being a huge, huge controversy. And at one point, Stan Lee said something like, well, I wouldn't want the fans to be, uh, to be uh, confused that Spider-Man's a black man or something like that. And uh, Brian Michael Bendis' response was like, well, you don't think he can be, but... I think it's interesting that like that original, the sort of the sort of radical challenge of Donald Glover saying, no, I can be Spider-Man. Spider-Man can be black. Um, on the one hand, like I think Miles in both versions, in the ultimate version and in this kind of like where they're sharing the same universe, it's kind of a weird compromise that I think doesn't sort of like um, get at what was really, a, 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 I think, a really powerful and interesting challenge that Donald Glover, you know, put up and said, like, you know, Peter Parker can be black, right? We don't have to create a whole new character who's in a different right. universe um, to to legitimize this this type of thing. So, right. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, I think it's worth noting too that, you know, I think part of what was important what you're saying, Triandria, is that. Uh, you know, Spider-Man is so neighborhood 
you know, identify the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And I think Marvel's done this with a few different heroes, Daredevil. Um, and you get these heroes that are rooted in the city or particular parts of the city. And so it makes sense that you wanted to have an inhabitable city. And I do think I will say, having played the first game, uh, I do think they really significantly parred down uh, a lot of the open world activities. Some of them in the first game were just frankly kind of bad uh, to the point where they just gave you shortcuts so you didn't actually have to do the activity. You could do these puzzles or they could be done for you. You just have to kind of show up at the spot, which I think is the sign that they realize they have maybe like <laughs> not the best uh, side activities or puzzles. Um, and so I understand them wanting to par it down, but it does produce a world that doesn't feel quite as lived in. I think, you know, we were, we interviewed, uh, Alenda Chang uh, earlier this week, actually, uh, who wrote the book Playing Nature. And she was talking a lot about, in our interview, about the difference between video game spaces that you can really inhabit and an environment that reacts back versus spaces that are backdrops for action. And I do think, on the one hand, the verticality of the city gives you something that does make you feel like Spider-Man, it makes Miles feel like he's part of this specific kind of environment. On the other hand, though, you don't have, you know, as you have video, like these like cutscenes where you'll have like a barber saying, yeah, I'll cut your hair for free and we'll figure it out. But on the other hand, you don't get the person off the side of the street being like, hey, hey, like you got to help me out with this thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I think that there is a contradiction there in the game being short and it being an open world game because you know what open world games are really short games also mm. you know that that's the contradiction the open world is you're supposed to get aimlessly lost you know i'm not supposed to really be able to play i'm not supposed to be able to play an open world game in like 2 days you know just like mm. a few quick sessions i even if i don't want to do the side missions there's going to be other stuff that comes up a the main story is usually a bit longer uh but b even when i'm not trying you know you get lost and something happens and those are the kinds of things like think about you know skyrim like you show up in one of the hubs and you overhear this thing going on and you can't just walk away <laughs> You know, like there's not a lot of that. There, the, the the people of Harlem are very reactive, and you know they will react to Miles's presence, like especially as you're swinging around and stuff, or if you're just walking through, they will react to you. But that's not the same as like engaging, and mm -hmm. you know, the, there's a stronger procedural generation there that would uh, make them feel <clears throat> more vibrant. Uh, but that would also just that would lengthen the game, and that's that kind of open world immersion. Um, that I'm talking about. Um, yeah, because you really do feel like because of his age and his, you know, this is a coming of age uh, narrative that he's in a playground. Like Harlem is, is in a point of crisis, but it's also his playground. And so he, you know, what is play? Like it's got to be more open-ended than the various sort of structured, fairly linear, you know, uh, presentation of this experience it's got to be a little more aimless it's got to be wandering you've got to go back home you know check on your mom or talk to your friend sit on the stoop and watch something weird happen right in front of you those are the kinds of things that i think would make this game just push it to the next level one yeah, thing that 
Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Christian. I was just going to say in comics terms, like this is a six issue arc, right? And that's a, that's that's what this is. It's not more than that. It's not less. And I think that comes with a lot of good things in terms of accessibility, but it also comes with that kind of the way in which that brevity is also maybe just scratching the surface of what they could do. Right. Yeah. And I think it, it's probably even close to a four issue. Story, right? <laughs> uh, because it is really a kind of uh, at some level it does expect that you play the other game right and and a lot of the referential elements in in the story are about the other game so so there are moments where like if you don't know the other game you you miss why well, why was that so important like the flashback scene when they're in the science fair, for instance, and mm-hmm. Peter Parker's in the background. You're like, oh, okay. Right. So it, there's a lot of payoff to the game. And the, and the map of the game is basically the map of the first game, too. Yeah. Right. So it's like the world is exactly the same. So it's 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 really asking people who are fans of what Miles Morales is, who he is, to 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 return back to that world. I mean it, it, it works so much as this sort of affirmation of Miles' uh, status as a character in a Spider-Man world who's basically pushed to a place. And in, in some ways, unlike any other Spider-Man side character, to a place where he can support a narrative on his own. Because there have been a lot of Spider-Man characters, you know, going back in comics to the Clone Saga, um, which is infamous. I know if you're a comic book fan, you're like, oh, the clone saga. Oh. <laughs> but Ben Riley was a character, you know, Scarlet Spiler was like supposed to be this consequential character. They were like, okay, well, you know, now we have another Spider-Man. And, and they really never been able to do anything with that character after going through that whole thing of like having created him and all that sort of baggage that just like, man gone right um (laughs) (laughs) so miles morales is a character who has been introduced has weathered a storm people love him he can support in the way that spider-man can support other trans media products and like that's really significant to me that because of his identity because of the communities that he represents like it's really an amazing thing Hmm. well uh let's let's turn uh change the subject a little bit and uh what'd y'all think about the villains particularly the tinkerer as a villain in this storyline is she a villain i mean well there's two villains that are i mean as as you said um julian like this is a very very personal story so Mm. everybody is like his friend or his relative you know, so you have the Prowler. <laughs> I like the take on the Prowler kind of, because from what I remember in the comics, um, he it's totally different. The story arc is a little different, right? Like mm-hmm. he yeah. and his father did have conflict, but this is kind of like a trying to be on the right path Prowler, you know? And then also he knows right away that Spider-Man is Miles because he's like, I just saw you moving and I knew those troop moves. Like, you know, I taught you, I taught you that. So you're not fooling anybody. Like you do a mission for him and he's like, oh yeah, here's here's your subway card and it has, you know, Miles' name on it. So I really enjoyed that relationship with the Prowler and seeing it from this vantage point, you know, sort of refreshed or um, changed here. And um, 
And even though he's a villain, he's not really a villain, right? Because like, he's kind of a problem, sort of betrays Miles, but then doesn't, and then does the right thing. And then, you know, his arc is like one of redemption. Um, like he went a little wrong, but now he's trying to write himself so that he can have this relationship with Miles, which seems really, it is really important. Like you want him in his nephew's life. Um, so I was like cheering for that to kind of work. And I think it did. And then with the Tinkerer, um, I, that's also from what I understand now, you Marvel folks can, can, can chime in. I don't know who the tinkerer was before, but I looked it up and it wasn't her, right? It's, it's not right, been right, right, right. his, his friend. So they took liberties with, uh, refashioning that character as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think of Finn as a villain because of her the villain in this in this in this story is Roxanne which like you know in comics yes that is completely yep. right you're exactly <laughs> right like the, the Roxanne is an evil corporation yeah. we all know it every comic book fan every Marvel fan knows it so when you saw that sign like well th those are the bad guys in the story I didn't yeah. Yeah. I don't care what this woman is doing <laughs> those are the bad guys <laughs> um, and she has a good reason, right? Like she's trying to protect the community too. It's, she's blowing them up, though. <laughs> she's blowing them up, which is how you, you know, we, you know, in the in the simplistic nature of, of superhero narratives, is how you know Miles is the good guy, yeah. and she's a misguided person, right? right Who's right. been injured and doing her own thing, right? Right, <laughs> like that's just how it is, like. Well, her yeah. motivation is is a good one. Her actions are wrong, right? And Miles is like, no, you can't do it this way. Uh, and that's how you know Miles is absolutely the hero in the story. Uh, it's similar. It's a similar sort of dynamic to Black Panther and Eric, you know, Killmonger in the movies. And I have to explain this to students. Killmonger killed a lot of people. I understand that you find his reasoning compelling, but he's a murderer. So Black <laughs> Panther's a hero. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you find people want to stand for Killmonger. Yeah, right. Yeah, like you know, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, 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 it's, yeah. It's, it's a question mark, but I can answer that question. He's a bad man, right? And with with Finn, she's got motivations to make her uh, problematic. But I find, like you say, like every relationship in this story is so deeply intertwined with 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 Miles that it's impossible not to feel for her, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because their, their relationship, you know, throughout that story, he's trying to talk to her, mm -hmm. right? He is not, it is not like some sort of Miles, I'm gonna beat you up. He, he, he's trying to talk to her continuously through this story. So there's a, there's a sense that like, when he recognizes this is my friend and there is a real, Danger represented by Roxxon, and like some of the side mission where where he's sort of going to the Roxxon labs and and um, sort of taking out the new form and things like that, you know, only reinforced that like you know the sort of like danger represented by a kind of uh, careless corporate structure, mm -hmm. and and the way that experimentation. I mean, there's a lot of subtext here where like they're able to get away with experimenting with this new energy form in Harlem because they can't do it in another neighborhood. They couldn't do it in a neighborhood full of white people, basically. That's that's what I took from that story. Like they're yeah, allowed totally, to do this in this black totally. neighborhood 
Totally. They could not do this in this white neighborhood. And Miles pretty much says that. They feel like yeah, they can get away with that here. Yeah, totally. Right? But they can't, they couldn't do that someplace else, right? Like they can't do that downtown. They can feel like they can do it here. I'm like, no. Yeah. And like to me, like that just resonates so much to so many people who are fans of Miles Morales and resonates so much in terms of like correcting always this sort of critical question we have about a black superhero character. What does it mean to be a hero for that black superhero? Well, that black superhero, their sense of justice is a little bit different from that white superhero because their sense of the system is different, right? So it just works so well to me. Mm. Yeah, you very much get that sense playing the game too. You know, that that by the end when people are like, Miles is like, cause it like blows up in the sky with Finn. And so he's pretty, you know, crushed and he's on the ground and his mask is off and all these people are looking at him and his mom is there. And, um, and then they like put the mask back on him and you no know, prop him up and like, you know, pick him up. And, and, you know, someone says like, this is our Spider-Man. This is our guy. This is this, he's for us, you know? So there's that recognition. I thought all the sort of racial uh, awareness and politics are there, you know, and they're there in a way that if you really wanted to be able to have this conversation and like, like we are, or with your, your preteens or teenagers, like that's available to you. But I also thought that it's politics and it's, um, you know, self consciousness in that sense um, is not that explicit either. You know, it's mm. there, like even when he's, he's fighting like Roxanne and stuff and says, he says explicitly like Julian is saying, you know, they could get away with this in Harlem. They could get away with this here. And, you know, Harlem is very much a character that he's always saying, this is Harlem. I, you know, he just moved, they just moved to Harlem, but he's like, this is our home and this is Harlem. Um, and even though, that's there there's not like this backstory of like you know environmental like waste and disaster and communities of color there's there's none of that it's not like we're gonna flesh this out a little bit more and mm. show you some flags and show you some you know how this neighborhood is decimated by these choices it's there and it's there in a way that's still like marvel approved <laughs> you're very aware right, of yeah. that but i totally. think for marvel you know, okay, a Marvel licensed property, like we're seeing, we're seeing, we're seeing something. We're seeing a little bit of something, you know, like, like I give you a C plus on that part, uh, Marvel. Cause it could have been even more diluted and not there at all, right? But it, it right, is, right and you do get a little bit of that. Uh, just not, not enough. You got some flashbacks, you got some use of tools here to kind of really hone that in and sharpen that. Um, but it doesn't take that approach. So, part of well, that you know, feels and this like... question of class. I'm sorry. Oh no, go ahead. Uh, well, you know, I, I feel like this question of class, which has always been like an important narrative within the Spider-Man universe, was always muted, right? Mm. Because, like, you know, when you say you know Spider-Man is a friendly neighborhood hero, mm. um, that and his troubles, like his you know money troubles. His, trying to find a job, trying to hold on to things. That, that is very much a working class, um, a narrative, right? Like it's about a person on the margins, but this person on the margins feels a responsibility to his community, which is also very true of, of working class people. Like, you know, because they're all on the margin, they are connected in a very particular way. But then at some level, um, that narrative is sort of filtered through a kind of like white working class 
um, narrative of New York and, and sort of white ethics and things like that. And in some ways that narrative has forever been not ascribed to people of color, right? right? Even though like they live that narrative in every way imaginable, mm -hmm. like uh, uh, African-Americans in particular are, are, are not allowed to have the same sort of redemptive um, structure in their working class narrative. They get an underclass narrative as, you know, scholars will recognize like, you know, ghettoization, all the dangers associated with that. But in, in this story, you know, Miles as a working class hero and many of the side characters like Finn's brother is a working class person who, you know, goes to night school and gets a job at a major corporation, right? And dies trying to protect that, his people from the dangers posed by industrial waste. I mean, there's a lot going on in that story in terms of like race and class and power that you, you can look and see if you want to see, but the average player isn't going to necessarily see it. But I, you know, I'm like, oh, well, that's, cool. that's a quite interesting thing to sort of put there and, and to put a black character who's a neighborhood character, who's a working class character in opposition of, of a corporate elite in protection of the people, you know, fighting this fight and doing all these things. But that's a very complicated story that gives yeah. you opportunity to sort of reflect on some things. And it's really interesting to see that, hmm. even in the Marvel, as you say, as the Marvel approved way. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and I wondered, I, I something I just didn't know, and I because I kind of maybe have this confused with the comic part of the story, um, where Finn and Finn and uh, Miles separate and end up going to different schools, right? And so Finn's backstory is really interesting to me. But it seems like in the game, Miles is still going to that. It's going to a prep school, right? Like he kind of has the uh, kind of class mobility story there, where he's going to be able to go. And in the comic, it was because he he made it through the lottery, mm. uh, if I remember correctly, mm -hmm. and it was really hard. And his parents, you know, it was still that working class narrative that education is the vehicle, you know, through which you will ascend. And in Finn's case, even though they're both, um, you know, positioned through the storytelling and the backstories, the flashbacks as these nerdy kids of color, you know, the science kids, the geeky kids, um, for some reason she goes to a different school. And I couldn't get a sense of if that was an equivalent school in terms of like prestige and opportunity. I think it wasn't, um, but I don't know. But you, she, she definitely has a like a hard knocks story of losing her parents and then her brother and then going to this school that is not that school that has these other opportunities that Miles is going to be able to benefit from. Um, so, so yeah, all of that is there around class as you're saying julian hmm. yeah I and i wanted more of it it's just like stretch it out let's stretch it out give us more of that you know really investigate it mm -hmm. i was gonna say i wonder too if there's not a kind of like middle class pressure that we're seeing on miles right because people keep worrying about miles and about all the responsibilities taken on he's going to like one of these magnet programs in new york that you know are pretty renowned for being difficult to get into and real sites of like class mobility and like racialized class mobility places uh where you know i think of some of them in brooklyn and some of them um in manhattan that you know exist in the real world that it really are these important schools that people struggle to get into and there's like a combination lottery system and uh uh like you have to sort of pass over a hurdle to get into the lottery system too. And even just the way Prowler is handled here too, right? He's like, 
his father is a cop, you know, Miles's father is a cop and his uncle's a criminal. And there's a kind of like respectability thing that's happening in terms of Prowler being kind of cast out of the family. And then Miles is trying to live up to his father and his father's sort of position within things um, as a law enforcement officer, um, you know, that gets killed in the last game. And so there's this way too in which I think that like Miles is really interesting because I do read Finn as a little bit more of that like hard knock background that like she's had to struggle a little bit more. Miles is a little bit more insulated, but that insulation actually does come with a lot of pressures, right? He's got a mom that's a politician who's clearly knows how to like work things. He's got like a father who's a police officer. There's a pressure on him and you see that. And I think you feel that in the game of like he, you know, it's not just that he can't catch a break. It's that he has so much, it seems like he has to live up to and he, that he's holding himself accountable to. Mm. And that's, I mean, I just, I, I did not have those kinds of pressures when I was like, <laughs> you know, a kid, you know, and not just because I wasn't a superhero, it turns out, uh, you know, I have no secret identities to reveal. Um, and I wouldn't do it on this podcast, even if I did. Uh, but uh, I thought that was handled well. And I think, that's the stuff in the game that actually really for me gave it substance it wasn't just the like the soup you know the superhero versus supervillain stuff was fine roxon as a corporation is always a good villain or a good like antagonist and you know the the guy that what's his name troy baker who seems to voice somebody in every single video game ever uh <laughs> you know that the, the the dyed, the bad blonde dyed job haired bad guy yeah. who goes off to jail at the end yeah. uh, that, in that lovely fantasy, uh, you know, because that never actually happens. Um, you know, like that was all fine, but for me, it was those like those stresses and tensions mm. and you're seeing Miles deal with. It was that moment where he sat down for dinner with Finn and with his mom, you know, with Genki. And we haven't talked about Genki, mm -hmm. but Genki, you know, I heard Genki. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. uh, it's yeah, that, like, great. it's those interactions that sold the game for me. I was surprised. And I, and part of this, I think you can explain through like how personal these connections are, it's particularly in Spider-Man comics, which is why I like them. Like Spider-Man comics do it. They do a really good job of, of making enemies like personal, like, um, but I was surprised at the end of the story, how angry I, I was angry at Finn. I was really angry at Finn. And it was an interesting moment um, because it's not at all, I think, I mean, I think that's not at all Miles's reaction to what's occurring. Um, I think he's uh, somewhat sad and, and, and thinks that she's somewhat misguided, but I was full on angry. And I wonder what that says about me that like, you know, that like, I, I read it as this kind of betrayal in a way, but it wasn't at all. And so I just think that's really interesting in terms of the kinds of pressures and the, and, and what it means to Miles to be a hero um, that that could, that I could have a reaction like that to that type of moment in the game. Oh yeah. I was never angry at Finn. I, I definitely thought that because of who Miles is, that she would she would have to come around, and because so much time is invested in portraying their past and their closeness, uh, that you know even though she's beating the crap out of him, and you're like he's trying to explain, you know, like what he has <laughs> is discourse. He's just 
it's like we let me explain like i know i infiltrated your gang by the way i had to cheat you to do her gang initiation but i liked that she was like the underground gang boss like that was cool and you know i liked that everything was purple and i was like yeah go for it um but I wasn't angry at her even when she's beating the crap out of him because you know he's the superhero he's going to prevail and I really found their exchanges the dialogue in those scenes really meaningful you know and I thought like I just kept waiting to see her bend and say like no I don't want to blow up Harlem to get this corporation like that's not you know that's not what we have to do here. Cause he's trying to convince her of that. He's like, oh no, we will take them down. You can, you better believe, but this is not the way to go about it. Uh, so, you know, she has her own redemption arc, you know, when she presumably sacrifices herself for him at the end to sort of help end the city. She, so, so she comes around and he's gonna, he's absorbed all this energy. You, he may blow up, you think, you know, he's like, I can't I get these people out of here. I can't hold it in any longer. And she shoots him up, you know, in the, vertically uh, to sort of release all this energy. It's totally a like romantic dyad, like, you know, coupling like coming together and i'm like oh is this how the kids do it this these days you know, <laughs> explode in the sky and um and she saves him and she finally comes around and saves her home like that maybe roger that's what you're angry with. like i wanted her to rally behind mm -hmm. like have this solidarity right. mission that mm -hmm. is not that explicit but to make it more explicit and mm -hmm. be like oh for the people, you know, and she doesn't do that until the very end, but it's really to help, you know, Miles. She comes around and is like, okay, I'm gonna help you on this. And so does the Prowler, so does Uncle Aaron. And I'm like, yes, you know, Uncle Aaron comes around and says like, I'll help people evacuate. I'm gonna do the right thing and turns himself in, you know, serving time. Um, so yeah, I think that What's delicate here is when we're so in the weeds of the personal, the interpersonal relationships, it's very easy to sacrifice the focus on the systemic factors and like everything else around them. And it doesn't do that. It doesn't totally sacrifice it. Like I was saying, you know, that reading is there to focus on, you know, the environment, corporations and the exploitation of this community of color. Um, it's there. And there's the personal, you know, mm -hmm. even if we like to sort of sharpen and tease these things out, they, you know, they both exist. And so mm -hmm. that's something to, to, I guess, cheer for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't want her to, to die. And I, I, I was hoping at the end when they're having that final fight that he was going to convince her, right? Because that, that had been his modality the whole time. I just need to talk to her. I just need to talk to her. Like there was, it was never about I need to fight her. It's like I just need to. Well, I can talk to her. She can see. She's smarter than I am. She'll yeah. understand. She'll. But she can't see, right? Like she is really committed. And and at the end, I'm like, I, there's a part of me is like, I want to believe she didn't die. I mean, yes, there was an yeah. explosion. Uh, you know, it's comics, right? People don't die right. in comics, right? So right, I'm like. Right. She could come back, uh, but you know, it, it was never fundamentally their relationship was never adversarial. They they were never. He was trying to 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 stop her from doing a bad thing, but he wasn't against her. Mm -hmm. um, and and I and I think that that 
that too becomes like a, a question about community, about um, yeah. a, a way that we can think about you know, uh, a proletariat, right? Like quite literally, he is working very deliberately to try to protect people from um, the excesses of capitalism. I mean, you can read it that way. Like that is what that story is about. And, and she is trying to do that too, but her methodology has flaws. And he's just trying to like point her out, like this is the flaw. Mm-hmm. Like, and literally it's like, you got the math wrong, yeah. right? Like, it, it, like quite literally the math is off. Like, again, it's that, you know, as Robin points out that, that bad dye hair villain, he did the math wrong. And like, you're using the real math and that dude changed it. So it's really off. And so, you know, just slow down and stop. And like, you know, there's something to be said for um, people who are under pressure, who are, don't have power coming together. And what can they do if they come together to overcome yeah. um, the people in power who um, are trying to do them wrong. And you know, one of the things that I really enjoyed in this game was like that dude was leaving those voice messages. So when you do the side missions in the labs and you get to hear the voice messages, he sounds like even more of a douchebag. He's a true <laughs> villain. Yeah. Those those voicemails, like, oh, this dick, there's no redeeming qualities in this game, right? Like you're like, right. it's good he's in jail, right? Like, you know, it's so satisfying when he goes to jail. I think yeah. he literally leaves torturing Miles at one point to get a manicure, if I remember correctly, or a haircut. He's like, I'm, I mean, like, like, I'm going to go to the gym. No, he's like, I got to work out. It's yeah, like, that's yeah. what it is, right? He's like, I got to make sure that, that my eight pack or whatever it is, like, stays ripped. So I'm going to leave my minions to continue torturing like, you. Bye. Um, I mean, and Miles and Finn are like, what, really? And then Miles just explodes a little bit and their problem is solved. So, yeah. yeah. Look, when you've got core day at the gym, you've got core day. There's just no, right. you know, <laughs> like leg day or arm day. Um, right. yeah. No, yeah. it's, uh, I like that a lot because as, as you know, you were talking, Julian and Trandria, it was making me think, oh yeah, so this is like that old tension between revolution and reform that's happening here in a lot of ways, right? Like this is about to, yeah. I mean, it, it makes perfect sense because Miles's mom is literally trying to change the system from within. She's trying to mm-hmm. become a politician in Harlem. She's trying to like, you know, make things better, but through the proper channels, through city council. And on the other hand, you've got Finn who's like, the system's broken. Like if we gotta resort to what we'd probably end up calling terrorism, right? And a lot of, you know, yeah. from a standard political perspective, then that's what we're gonna do. Um, and the game, I mean, I think it clearly sides because it's Marvel, because it's a big corporation putting this game out, you know, or licensing this game, it clearly sides with working within the system. But on the other hand, it seems to recognize the attraction and it seems to recognize the limits of that system and recognize the attraction to working within and against it um, in, in a way that was similar to Black Panther, you know, you know, that you do have these characters and you can see both perspectives, but, but it is like, maybe this is also the weakness of a certain kind of superhero narrative or most superhero narratives is that when we talk about justice, what we usually mean is like, okay, so like a superhero will intervene and solve the tension between these things. So uh, fascinating. Oh, go ahead. Trina. No, go ahead. Bro. Go ahead. Bro. Go ahead. Bro. Um, it's so fascinating to think about um, the connection between superheroes uh, and the state, right? Like, and like, because they're, they're, vi- they're literally vigilantes 
They're vigilantes. They're working out. They're not cops. No one has right. given them any like this power. They've taken it upon themselves to go out and like and like do this, right? Like, um, but uh, but on the other hand, there is this kind of strange, uh, I think, narrative in a lot of comic books where it's where they do at the best have to have to have to be these sort of neoliberal uh, soldier kind of. They have to, in some way, reinforce the re existing structure of power, um, and so. Uh, very rarely do we see, I think, and maybe maybe I'm not remembering correctly, but I don't think I've seen a sort of truly revolutionary sort of superhero. It's usually, you know, the superhero is a sort of reform or police figure that is that is trying to hold together uh, the status quo in some in some way. I'm not sure. Yeah. You don't get that. You definitely don't get that. And I think we should rewrite the ending of this game, you know, collectively, like we could come up with a better vision. Because what's missing here and in Black Panther is this, you know, not even just this, this vision of what revolution looks like versus reform. We also are missing this sense of restorative justice, right? Like Killmonger does not have to die in Black Panther. Like Wakanda, you guys got technology, you know, there's lots of, there's lots of opportunities here. And when he says like, my only options are like to be in your jail, his only options are not to be in their jail or die. You know, there is this sort of restorative justice path that could recuperate, you know, this character and and still have him there still hold him there you know for for all of his misgivings um and mistakes you know you're still you're still a part of us and so you know marvel doesn't deal with this well maybe in general uh but also but especially in the case of thinking about people of color and black you know maybe there's more off here so you know with finn dying potentially potentially not because you know if she is a villain maybe she'll come back uh potentially she goes out in a flame and the prowler going to jail even though i think we're told his sentence was light was less than you know the real villains you know what are the other options there that's not I would like to see Finn and Miles team up. There are moments where you're just kind of yearning for that. You know, the Prowler is already flipped a little and is trying to help, uh, even though he's getting in his own way. But there is a kind of restorative justice, closer to revolution pathway to take here um, that maybe doesn't completely, you know, uh, violate everything Marvel stands for from a like neoliberal conservatives uh, standpoint. There are other options here to push the envelope a little further, I think. There's uh, even and one like of those is just that you don't have to die or go to prison if you're, you know, the people of color that make mistakes in this system because all the other villains always get out of jail. I mean, the game begins with like, a villain like <laughs> busting out, Rhino or whatever it is, you know, busting out and getting free. So uh, we, we want other options. There's even like a mechanical way where I could imagine if this game had a bigger budget and a larger timeline to make you know to be developed, where the game works in like multiple phases. Where first you get to play Miles, then you get to play Prowler for a little bit, and then yeah. you get to and then finally you're playing as Tinkerer for like one of the penultimate mission, and then you go back to Miles or something. Mm -hmm. And sort of in the way the first game uh, had you play some Miles. Uh, had you play some Mary Jane? Um, mm. Like there, mm. there was. I think this game had room for it. I also even think it had room for it in the fact that you could see 
they reckoned with Black Lives Matter and with social justice movements in between the first game and the sec and this game. Not mm-hmm. it's not a full reckoning, right? It's like the kind of like white liberal reckoning in a lot of ways, right? right? You know, and it, but it is like the police are a little more ambivalent about you. They didn't center revealing the map through helping police officers fix their yeah. <laughs> like their satellite <laughs> systems, which is how the first game did it. Like the first game to open up the map, you went around like fixing a part of a police station, like from one place right. to the next, yeah. right? Um, and so they decentered it from the cops. So there was like room here, like even the moment, the bridge moment, the moment that like honestly, I was like, whoa, they went there sort of when miles throws his hands up right um and it's rocks on it's not the cops but there was still like a like there was a hands up don't shoot moment there you know yeah yeah no they're 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 a militarized unit so like the that imagery is there uh, in that moment for sure and there's the black lives matter mural mural in the game as well that you can like you know see and i think even just to have that there is pretty big for the franchise like i mean we could discuss to what extent does you know black lives matter art or imagery in one way or another uh, really matter in a game i think for a company you know a franchise like spider-man and a company like marvel to have that there in a, in a you know this open world playable game i think that that's a pretty significant gesture in this charged moment where you know plenty of spider-man fans and players would uh be uncomfortable with and you know outright reject that move when Sony released right. the Black Lives Matter background for the PlayStation, the joke going around on Twitter, you know, because so many people were excited, but so many people were also reacting poorly. The joke was like, oh, I got a whole new list of people to block, you know, like this is perfect, right? Because as soon as I, you know, tweet out about like putting this up on my background, like I'm going to get like the haters coming onto my feed and I'm just going to go block, 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 block. <laughs> You know, so like there, I think you're right there. There, there are some stakes there, right? There is like, it's not nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, sure. it's there. And, and I think they were, tr- they were very self-consciously trying to make sure that like in 2020, you playing this game, you're going to be aware that this is a person, a character, this is a person of color, uh, he lives in Harlem and we need to have some awareness of, you know, this moment. Um, so, I, so, yeah, I, you know. I tend to believe, and Treandria might disagree with me, I don't know, but I tend to believe that like Marvel is slightly more willing to take those risks than DC. Mm. Like they're slightly more, I mean, they they do it in a very particular way and in a way that isn't, you know, particularly revolutionary, very neoliberal. They're still a corporation, but like, I feel like, um, and I've seen this in the past, you know, 20 years of comics, where they both kind of tried to dip their toe into having more diverse superheroes. I feel that, um, I feel that Marvel is, and I, I'm doing this on like a, like a scale, like it's not like black or white in a way, but like, it's like, it's in a continuum, right? Like, it's like, I feel Marvel does it a little more, <laughs> a few more seconds in the, and then DC. Um, so I'm not sure, but that's, that's always been my reading of it a little bit. Oh, hands down, they're they're more progressive or more ready or willing to do that. Um, I think you know for a long time. Again, comic book fans can can insert a lot more specificity here. Mm. 
you know, the Marvel universe has been linked and aligned with like significant political imagery uh, and moments from the 60s on, right? And that and that's available in the metaphor of the mutants and this class, these groups of people that are alienated uh, in ways that we just don't see across the, the DC universe. It's more sanitized. Yeah. You got all the loners and alienated, you know, the the the, the freaks and geeks in the Marvel's universe, uh, which really absorbs some of those like signifiers of the racial other of blackness um, that you don't see at all. I think in the DC universe. Yeah, I, and I and I think that that's that is so important to how Marvel can operate across across platforms, right? That because of that inherent instability related to these characters as fighting against the system. They could be remixed very easily from a sort of Cold War dynamic of the 1960s to a kind of anti-terror dynamic of the 2000s, which is what the Ultimate Universe so easily did, which is why the Ultimate Universe is really the blueprint for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm -hmm. That a lot of the things that we, we in the Ultimate comics, they use the metaphor of superpowers as weapons of mass destruction. And and the superheroes were working for the government, right? Like, and so like the pretense that Roger talked about in terms of like the vigilante, where, where the superheroes are status quo character um, from the nineteen you know nineteen thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, like the the work of the superhero, you know, there have been numerous times where like superheroes become deputized characters. Like, Batman was deputized mm. agent of the Gotham City Police, right? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, mm -hmm. the Avengers are are deputized they, they have a national security um sort of status right they, they work for like global security um and and spider-man and, and and it's this neighborhood class of superheroes that 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 somehow are outside of that right like their concerns are are, are minor but even in that there's there was historically a racialization right so mm -hmm. luke cage got to be the hero for harlem for for decades and um, Spider-Man is is really the hero for Manhattan. Like like <laughs> he's from Queens, right? Like, but he's sort of swinging around, working in in, in sort of Manhattan. Um, Gotta protect all those midtowners, you know? Right. Yeah. I just thought um, it. I just thought Daredevil it was is. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. 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 But you know, Daredevil is Hell's Kitchen, which is not Clinton. It's not an extremely dangerous place, right? Like Clinton. That's where Hell's Kitchen is Clinton in the real world, right? Like, uh, right? like it's not, it's not, it's not a place that requires stringent policing um, anymore. Like it has gentrified. It is okay. Um, so there's a way where like this idea of the status quo and the superhero and the vigilante. Uh, works in Marvel, but it's it's a category where like the, you know, the, 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 the specter of the other, uh, uh, as has talks about, like, you know, the mutant and and a sort of youth culture and standing up to sort of like corporate power. So like in that in that context, corporations are bad. And so Raxon is a extremely bad corporation. And it makes, and it's satisfying. Like we all have in our contemporary 2020 moment concerns about um, corporations and their exploitive power. Uh, I do think it's interesting that the app um, becomes a, a vehicle for um, 
Miles would be an especially effective neighborhood Spider-Man mm-hmm. uh, because of the nature of social media being both right. positive and negative in our contemporary landscape. Yep. yep. And and that's really interesting to me. And I don't know what to make of that exactly. Like I don't know exactly how I feel about that, but it is something that I still think about. Like that app and Spider-Man mm-hmm. um, is something that that we probably should think about with a little mm. bit more care. But there you go. And the other social media, like the podcasts and the podcast mm. host, um, I don't know if JJ Jay is the the conspiracy theorist uh, guy, the anti vigilante host. If he right. is Jay Jonas Jameson, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he is on a podcast or the radio, but he's there. And then there's definitely like a podcast host who's the like alternate version of him, uh, a young woman. Um, but yeah, you have that mix of like social media and what it means, you know, sort of like mapped onto this progressive or action, you know, sort of, um, you know, this impactful black character. Uh, and we know that those things flip both ways, right? Easily policed, easily like tracked and surveyed and all of that, uh, as well as a tool for, you know, doing, do organizing and um, making it impact the maybe to wrap up um we could each talk a little bit about maybe one of our favorite moments from the game that's maybe like a you know one of the smaller moments we haven't hit on or, or just something that stood out to you and then maybe also what we hope to see down the line like what you want to see from another miles game what you want to see just for miles in general yeah so is anybody up for that i i can do one i I love saving the cats. That's my favorite part where the cat was named Spider-Man. That was the name of the cat. And you could even get a costume for the cat. You put the cat in your, in your, in your backpack. I don't know how the cat stayed in there while you were web swinging, but I love that part. So. <laughs> yeah. I had a feeling you would pick the cat, Roger, <laughs> which, which is a totally legitimate choice. Cause that cat is badass. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's a great part. It's also great because it's like the moment where like, you know, the bodega owner doesn't really trust you as Spider-Man. He mm. sort of starts getting okay with you because yeah. you bring his cat back, but it's only because he brings right. his cat back. And <laughs> you gotta say, like, I love all of the little things that he's being asked to do on this app, right? Like, if you think about the stuff that Miles is doing, he's like helping out at a homeless shelter, like getting their water back on. He's like finding My car's cat. stuck. My car's yeah, stuck. Yeah, I mean, that stuff's great. Right. Yeah. Well, I liked the movement in the game. I really enjoyed, I mean, there are times when I was like, does it make sense for Spider-Man to take the sub to get all across like Manhattan? Cause this is big, you know, pretty big map. Um, and sometimes I did take the subway cause I was just sort of playing it in a time crunch so you can fast travel. But a lot of times I just soared through the city and I think they got that mechanic just perfectly. It's it's perfectly done. You really, it's beautiful to just like swing around and soar and grab onto things. And it requires a little bit of computational faith because I'm not, you know, the greatest at sort of moving this particular character, but there are times when it feels like your, your web is not going to latch on and you're going to mm. hit the ground and have 
have to run instead of swing. And if you hold it just so uh, without sort of tapping it frantically, he will latch on and swing. And you get these long, like nice sort of arcs of him just, you know, swinging around. And um, and then sometimes you can, you can drop into a mission that way. And the game also ends, Peter Parker's back at the end, um, but, you know, unfortunately, but the coolest thing about that is that they're both sort of swinging around. It's a complete cinematic at that point. You're not controlling it. Um, and then they have their cool spider pose. Like they both swing <laughs> and, you, and you've been swinging so much through the game that you're like, yeah, that's so beautiful. Because uh, it, it was cinematically done even when you were controlling it. And then the end, you know, the end screen is both of them like swinging into like an action pose in the air. And that looked pretty badass. So I think the movement and that moment uh, were were my favorite parts of the game. And also, like, lots of props to the technical artists and programmers uh, that worked on the camera for this game. Mm-hmm. Because the mm-hmm. camera for this game is, in terms of open-world games, just, like, magnificent. It, it knows how to, like, introduce a cinematic element when you're swooping into a crime or swooping onto a rooftop. It does, like, it pans at, like, in just the right way, zooms in, zooms out, in just the right way to, like, make you transition into action and like into swinging or into like fighting in just like the perfect way and like that's not easy in a game like this and most open world games don't do a great job and i think Mm -hmm. between that and the photo mode which like sony Mm. studios have just been knocking that out of the park with photo modes lately um last of us part two had a great photo mode ghost of tsushima had a great photo mode and i'm not like is not my jam, but since we've been running the website, I've been mm. doing a lot more screenshots and doing a <laughs> okay. lot more with photo modes. And so like, I've been getting more into it and just noticing those games that prioritize that. Mm. Um, because I think there is a commu- like a larger communities developing around photo modes um, mm-hmm. and around being able to take these shots. Uh, but I will say, so my, I, I, I've got two things that really stood out to me in the game in terms of just things I want to plug. So one small thing, uh, the character Haley Cooper, who's the street artist who's also deaf and like mm-hmm. miles just happening to know asl yeah um, was great awesome. like I, it's awesome. like a small thing but she recurs a couple of times and like she's the one that inserts miles into the mural right mm-hmm. when he becomes like harlem spider-man um i think she also helps him when he's uh on the ground without a mask i think she's the one yeah that puts the mask, yeah, on, puts the him. mask on him yeah like there was just like it's a like a nod to another kind of diversity that you really don't get very much in games um and i just thought that was like a really nice touch and then the other thing is i've got a soft spot for christmas uh and like just the christmas stuff in this game like it just made me happy that's part of the big smile on my face like we don't we don't have a bunch of christmas stuff because we've just been like overloaded with work and stuff and like childcare and things like so we're like you know i think we might be getting a christmas tree today just like a small like <laughs> little thing um like i think a fake one but like just seeing the lights seeing all that and seeing the transition into that as the game goes on and the snow and stuff and even just the snowstorms uh was just i don't know it warmed my heart in a way that's like very cheesy but nonetheless it did something yeah yeah, I I really thought that one, I thought Miles' power set, which has always been something I found really interesting in Spider-Man, and this game was sort of rendered in a way that were spectacular, right? Like, 
Mm. Um, his fighting, the punches, his ability to turn invisible, like, you know, upping those powers and seeing it, seeing it how you could like do that in the game. That was, that was really amazing. I do think that I, I enjoyed the side, um, seeing the side missions in part because I felt like they were very story specific. Mm-hmm. Like that, that they really sort of like, you know, when you're working with the feast truck or you're um, doing the rocks on stuff, right? Like every one of those side missions sort of like resonated with, with um, uh, the sort of story world in a way that I thought like in the first Spider-Man game, you were doing side missions that just ran you around and you know, if you didn't necessarily want to do those missions or like just so many of them, here they were shorter amount and yeah, that might be because it's originally with the DLC or whatnot, but I just felt like every one of those missions really kind of mattered uh, mm-hmm. in, in terms of like how you, how you sort of experience the world. You know, I personally think that this, this game in particular is, is meant to be a sequel to the first Spider-Man game and the real challenge they have is in sort of envisioning a standalone Miles Morales game where you don't necessarily have to have been so steeped in the story world of the previous Spider-Man game, mm. where mm. like the ideas presented here are sort of matured and, and presented in a way that allows the player uh, to sort of be Spider-Man in Harlem, mm-hmm. so be that Spider-Man. And, and what does that mean? Like, what are the villains? Because there are some historically in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, the Marvel Universe, there are Harlem villains, but they're not Spider-Man villains per se. Mm. And so there's the, the one character that could fit in that would be really complicated would be Tombstone. Mm. The next, the, the, the villain for the next Miles Morales game should probably be Tombstone because nice. that's a traditional Spider-Man villain. And that is a black person who's an albino. Right. Like there's there's some really complicated there's so, much there. there's so much going on there that like I mean like you can really do something and there's a you know there's a classic Spider-Man story, Robert Robertson and Tombstone that you can really like revisit and remix in the context of Miles Morales. I'm like, if they know Spider-Man, like I think they know Spider-Man, then they should be thinking about Tombstone as a villain to Miles Morales. Like that would be a story. Mm. in Harlem that would get at some stuff, right? Because they yeah. did it in this. I felt like they, they were thinking about it. So right. that's what I would say. Bring on Tombstone and, you know, <laughs> let Miles Morales deal with that. Awesome. Yeah. I didn't say what I would want more of, but I said it earlier, which is just more better open world. They don't need to really re-render Harlem or, you know, the environment was great. It's just give us a reason to be in Harlem, Mm. go to the shops, go home, hang out, you know, between these big boss fights, give us moments to unwind and not by like swiping through the app and doing more little side missions, but just by like being there, give us Mm. a reason to be, you know, open world games should not be short games. You're wasting your hard earned, your hard work in rendering this lush, beautiful world. So allow us and encourage us to meander through that world. And you don't have a lot of reasons to do that or a lot of opportunities to do that in this game. So I would like to spend, you know, 20 hours just wandering around, give Miles a car. I don't think you need a car if you're Spider-Man, but you might need a car if you're Miles. Okay, get your driver's license. Let's see, you know, it's hard driving in Harlem, so. 
Maybe not. I, uh, a job. But, but make yeah. us be there. Make <laughs> us be there in Harlem. I, there was one moment in the in the Christmas scene that I really enjoyed and I wanted more of, uh, where you have to go like pick out a record, yeah. and you have to go through your father's records, and you could pick oh, yeah. different records, and like I, they would have been kind of cool. I mean, I guess that's part of what he was doing with the Beats and with Uncle yeah. Aaron and and stuff. But it would have been cool to see a kind of a kind of uh, more more situations where you kind of get a better sense of your father's music and how it relates to your uncle and stuff like that. So you're saying next game, maybe we get a subplot where he's working as an intern for Columbia Records. And, it turns, <laughs> and you know, and it, it, it turns out that Tombstone is actually a silent investor in Columbia Records, you know, and it just sort of branches out from there. Maybe they bring harmonics in to do some of the sort of musical beats, throw in a rhythm game element or something on the, you know, in a side quest. Oh man, if they can get Daft Punk for the Nick Miles Morales, I'm, I, I will buy a PlayStation 5 right now. Right and there's just punk. so much opportunity with the music anyhow like with headphones right. like playing yeah. the radio yes. yeah. i don't think you could do that but that's such a big part of open world games mm-hmm. are the different channels that you can listen to the mm-hmm. radio stations um or whatever spotify like have your own spotify list that you can play as you're going around like i want my custom music or i want music you know from this custom soundtrack so Right, yeah, there's right. a lot of untapped potential there. Huh. Yeah, I, I thought the soundtrack was pretty great, but I would have loved to have seen some like, you know, throw in some contemporary like hip hop and R and B and stuff like that. Like, give him like, you know, if he's making beats, so give him some recognizable beats. And I get the yeah. licensing is not easy, but you know, it would have been like if they would have thrown like Chance the Rapper or like I don't know, like Talib Kweli or something on there, just like a couple of times. You know, I would have just I would have Donald Glover blown up. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's a childish Gambino, you know. Just like, he probably would have given them a good uh, a good rate on that. Oh, you know? He'd give them a mixtape. Yeah. Yeah. They put sweatpants on there, and all it is is just a bunch of beeps because uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're trying to keep that teen rating. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Julian and Treandria. This was a blast, and I don't know. It makes me actually want to go replay the game. Um, all 10 hours of it. Uh, <laughs> but we really no, appreciate, appreciate it. it. Yeah, thank you. Thank yeah. you for yeah, having me. Thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it.